This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. Well, this morning we're going to continue in our series called Distinctives, looking at eight uh, distinctive character traits that are true of us individually as followers of Christ and collectively as the body of Christ. And we began the first two weeks looking at worshiping together and praying together. And this morning, we're going to look at our third trait, that of, of hospitality. And, and you might be thinking, like, how is hospitality distinct to us? Now, I'm sure we all know people who uh, are incredibly hospitable uh, but have or want nothing to do with Jesus. And we've all experienced hospitality with, with certain corporations. Like, there are companies known for their hospitality. And, and so... What is it that makes the hospitality that we are called to show different from the hospitality Starbucks shows or the Disney shows? The difference is what's distinct is, is our motive, right? The why behind the what. And, and so the motivation, by and large, the motivation for hospitality in our world is, is selfish, it's all about what we can gain for um, others, and really nothing more than a means to an end, and that end is a financial end. Starbucks, for example, they're hospitable because they want you to come back and get another cup of coffee on your way to work the next morning. Uh, Disney World is incredibly hospitable because they want you to come back and bring your family next summer for your next summer vacation. And, and the thing is, when, when we as the church when we have that similar motivation for hospitality, hospitality ends up being nothing more than a cheap gimmick. It, it, it's a trick. It's a means to an end. Catering to customers who walk through our doors in order to make them feel more comfortable. So what makes the hospitality we are called to as followers of Jesus distinct is, is that is it entirely selfless, not selfish. It is all about what we can give to others, not gain from others, looking for their good rather than our own. Henry Nouwen, in his book, Reaching Out, he, he describes this distinct type of hospitality as a fundamental attitude toward our fellow human being, toward other individuals created in the image of God. And he says, it is primarily the creation of a free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. And this space that we've created, it's not to change people, but to offer them space where change and growth can take place. Right? Hospitality is all about creating an environment for the good of others. Seeing the, the stranger as a fellow image bearer, and welcoming them with their pain, with their scars, with their hurts and their stories, and welcoming them and creating a safe place for them to belong, for them to be seen and known and loved, and knowing that they're not alone in this. Creating a place for them to belong, creating a place for them to, to grow, right? encountering Jesus and, and helping them heal from past hurts, helping them flourish and becoming who it is that God has created them to be, but also creating a place for them to serve as they begin to help others belong and heal and grow. 
And the Apostle Peter, he, he's going to help us see how to go about creating this type of environment here in this morning's passage that David read to us from 1 Peter 4. And the Apostle begins in verse 7 saying, the end of all things is at hand. You might be like, okay, wait. Why should we be so worried about the type of environment we're creating uh, if, if everything's about to end anyway? Like, who cares at that point? Well, when he says end, he doesn't mean destruction. No, he means destination. He, he means where it is that we are headed toward. For example, uh, when you take the metro into the city and, and you finally hear, next stop, Ogilvy. Right? You know you're about to arrive at your destination. We finally arrived downtown. We're nearing the end. We're nearing the, the, the telos, the conclusion. And what he's saying here is that we're nearing the end, the telos, the conclusion of God's grand story of redemption. A story that, if you remember, begins in paradise. It begins in a garden. And a story that if you are one of those that like to read ahead to the end of the book and then come back. The last two chapters show us that it ends in a city, in a new Jerusalem. And, and we, we, we live within this story, don't we? We live in the pages of this story. We live in the, in the time between the advents, don't we? After Christ's uh, victorious resurrection and before his, his glorious ascension, living as citizens of this, this heavenly kingdom that has come but not yet in full living in a world that has been deceived by Satan and distorted by sin. And like the people Peter wrote to, there's times where it starts to feel hopeless, doesn't it? We start to feel like we're never going to arrive at our destination. It starts to feel like Christ is never coming back. It's never going to get better. Peter wrote to churches living in that darkness experiencing oppression simply because of their faith in Jesus. And he wrote to remind them of the hope that we have in Jesus in the midst of the darkness. Hope that is founded on his resurrection and focused on his return. The telos, the conclusion of the story. When again, if you skip ahead, it says that the light will shine so bright there will be no need for a sun in that day. Therefore, as a result of this hope, we should live differently, living in light of that hope. Uh, Karen Jobes, in her commentary on this passage, writes that what one believes about the future shapes how one lives today. Essentially what she's saying is that our eschatology very, very much matters. How you view the end of the story impacts how you live today within the story. And the way that we live, living with hope, is to share that hope with others, isn't it? Creating an environment where others can come and hear of that hope, be shaped by that hope, and then live out of that hope themselves. But like, how do we do that? That seems like a pretty big task, doesn't it? How do we go about creating a more hospitable environment and, and becoming more hospitable people? Well, Peter's going to show us four ways we can grow in hospitality that we're going to look at. And, and then we're going to close, as we have the last couple of weeks, uh, of looking at our unique uh, expression of this distinctive. And so four ways we can grow in hospitality. Number one is this, real simply, it's to pray with one another. Right? It's to pray with one another. You're going to notice something in this series. It's eight different distinctives, and each week it feels like we cover three of the eight. And it's kind of on purpose. They all kind of interweave together. But today, point one, pray with one another. 
he starts off saying, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded, meaning be, be alert, be aware, be attentive. Why? For the sake of your prayers. Your plural prayers, meaning our praying together with one another. It's like, you raise your hand if you want to. Adulting is hard, amen? Adulting's hard. Life is heavy. Um, it's not what we thought it was going to be like when we were kids, was it? It, it? This is not what the brochure share. Brochure share. Words are even hard. It's not like what the brochure said. And there's times like it feels like you're barely getting by, doesn't it? it? It feels like you're walking in quicksand and sinking. It feels like you're drowning and you barely got one nostril above water. And we find ourselves, we're scared, we're anxious, we're, we're worried. And, and that, can, that can overwhelm us, can't it? It overwhelms and it begins to cloud our, our judgment. It's, it's as if sometimes it's so overwhelming, it's as if we're inebriated, if we're intoxicated. We, we had a few too many drinks. And what it does is it, it, it distracts our attention and it draws our affection away from God. And over time, as that happens what we find is that things like prayer become less and less frequent. And rather than opening ourselves to God, we end up closing ourselves off from him. And as this goes on and on, he begins to feel more and more distant and sound more and more silent, wondering where he is and where he went. And the more isolated and alone we feel, not, not, not only feeling abandoned by God, but even feeling abandoned by others, the more anxious and afraid we become. And that growing sense of fear and anxiety and, and shame that you feel, it, it clouds our judgment. We're, we're not thinking clearly in the midst of it. But remember what happened in last week's story, when we looked at that story of the early church in Acts 4? Peter and John, they had just been arrested for preaching. And what did Peter do? Peter remained self-controlled and sober-minded, right? He, he did that, and when we returned to the room, what did it do? It lowered the anxiety of the room, uniting them together as they lifted their voices together as one voice, turning to God in prayer, praying with one another. And praying with one another, it strengthens us. It strengthens our, our unity as the body, recognizing that, that we as individuals and we as a church, we are fully dependent on God. And so we bring him our fears. We bring him our anxieties and our worries. And as we do, we are reminded of who he is, that he is our sovereign Lord, that he is the all-powerful creator. We are reminded of what it is that he has done for us in and through Christ, that we are rescued and redeemed. And we remember all that he has promised to do and that he who promised is faithful. Praying with one another, it strengthens our unity, but it also strengthens our sense of community and fellowship. Entering into one another's stories that we've brought in with us. Bearing one another's burdens. Weeping with those who weep. Rejoicing with those who rejoice. And being reminded as we gather together and pray together that we are seen. Not exposed, but seen. That we are known. And that we are loved and that we're cared for by others and by our Heavenly Father. So the first way to go about creating a more hospitable environment, to be more hospitable people, is to pray with one another. 
The second way is to love one another. I love one another. He says in verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multiple multitude of sins. It's one of those verses that make you go, hmm, just a little bit, isn't it? Like It kind of sounds like he's saying, if you see something, say nothing. The exact opposite of the phrase that uh, has been uttered as of late. If you see something, say nothing. Right? It's like what he's saying. When you, if you see someone else sinning or if someone else has sinned against you, the loving thing to do is to just ignore it, to just cover it up and pretend like it never happened. Because after all, if you were to do something about it, it would, it would probably destroy their reputation and, and just bring a stain on the church. We don't want that. It, it would... It would divide the church and deter from our mission. I think we've all heard versions of those statements over the last few years in our world, haven't we? Can I just say, like, that's not what Peter meant. Last three minutes is not what he meant. He didn't say that we love one another by covering up and hiding everything and pretending as though it never happened. See, protecting the victimizer at the expense of the victim shows no love for anyone, does it? Hear me. Letting sin go is not loving. Letting sin go is not loving. It fails to love the sinner, and it fails to love the one sinned against. And, and so when we come to these verses that make us go, hmm, what, what, what do we do when something doesn't sound right, when it, doesn't sound out of, when it sounds out of place? We read the text in its context, don't we? Remembering who it is that he's writing to and why it is that he's writing. Seeing how it fits within the broader passage, the book of the, as a whole, and, and the rest of, of Scripture, of God's grand story of redemption. And we, we looked at this letter a few years ago, if you remember, in our series, Hope in the Darkness. And we, we saw that, that Peter, he's, he's writing to churches that were experiencing a great amount of, of pressure and, and oppression from the outside, from friends, from family, from coworkers, their neighbors. And I think what we know from experience is that as pressure builds from the outside, uh, cracks begin to form, don't they? And as that pressure continues, those smaller cracks that, that would previously would have healed on their own, they grow more easily and they spread now, don't they? It, it's like, um, have you ever got a crack in your windshield from a tiny little pebble? You get that, that tiny little chip, that tiny little crack in March when it's still cool out, but over the course of the summer, and this definitely happened in Phoenix, uh, that heat, that crack spreads and grows until eventually... Your windshield shatters. That's what sin does. Sin uh, divides and destroys everything it touches when left unaddressed and unresolved. And, and we become, sometimes we become passive-aggressive, sometimes we just become aggressive. We begin assuming the worst of each other in the midst of it. We start accusing each other, even attacking each other. We start holding grudges and keeping score. It's like we all of a sudden become professional clue players. And we're just walking around, and every time we see something, do something we don't like. Something that, uh, that they did wrong, we go, hmm. We take out our little scoreboard, our little score pad, and, we, and a pencil, and we, we make a little note on there, a little reminder for later. Hmm. Colonel Mustard. 
in the living room with a lead pipe. But we do that to each other, don't we? And think about the environment, the type of environment that creates when we do that. It is not hospitable, it is not charitable, and it's certainly not loving. And rather than creating a place for others to belong, we create a place where everyone wants to leave. Karen Jobes goes on in her commentary to say that in a hostile world, and that's what these people lived in, they lived in a hostile world. The church, this gathering of God's people, is to be a place of safety. We are to be safe people and well-being for its members. A place where common beliefs unite more than differences divide. And so what this verse means for us now is that even when things are difficult, we keep on really truly loving each other. We love each other by assuming the best and asking the hard questions of each other. Of not letting things fester and go unsaid, but by speaking up even when we know the other person might not want to hear what it is that we have to say. It has to be said and we need to listen. And so let's love one another. Let's one another, love one another by seeking clarification when someone says something that doesn't sit right. Let's love one another by letting others know when we've been hurt by what they've done. Persisting in love that confronts sin but also extends grace. Love that listens and learns. Love that seeks forgiveness and extends forgiveness. Love that ultimately desires reconciliation and restoration. Love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things, Paul says. And as Eugene Peterson writes in the message, you know what? Love makes up for just about anything. Maybe not everything, but just about anything. And so we pray with one another, we love one another. The third way that we grow in hospitality is this, welcome one another. Welcome one another. Look at what he says here in, uh, in verse 9. He says, show hospitality to one another. And then uh, there's two more words after that. Could you guys read those last two words? Without grumbling. Oh, no, grumbling. It's not just what to do, it's how to do it. Rewind a little bit. I'm, I'm listening to this podcast, History That Doesn't, there's a word after that, um, History That's Not Bad, it's fun history, and uh, he, he like sets something up, and then every time he's like, so now we got to go back to the beginning of the story, he says, rewind, and he's got that little, like when you had an actual cassette tape and you had to rewind. Let's rewind 2,000 years. Hospitality wasn't just a courtesy in first century culture, no, it was a necessity, Right? There was no Motel 6 at every uh, corner along the freeway just leaving a light on for you to pull up in the middle of the night. No, travelers depended on the hospitality of strangers. They were a stranger in their town. Right? We saw this a few weeks ago, didn't we? In, in Matthew 10, uh, as, as Jesus, he sent out his 12 disciples, and they were strangers, and they stayed with others as they traveled the villages. Hospitality was so important that... Uh, Paul included it in both of his lists of qualifications for elders in both 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Because that's a type of character that God expects uh, of his leaders, of his church, uh, demonstrating this and, and modeling the way that we care for one another. And if we look at the actual meaning of hospitality, like this is exactly what it means. It's, hospitality is not love of friend, it's love of stranger. It's easy to welcome someone into your home that you like, 
that you don't just love, but you like. It's easy to welcome someone in when it's convenient and you're ready and you had time to prepare. But man, what about when Cousin Eddie and his family pull up in the RV unannounced for Christmas? Or you ever uh, had someone ring the doorbell and you got to see on the little video on your phone who it is and you're like, hide, shut the lights off, nobody move. Don't go in front of the window. Hospitality is not about our comfort and it's not about our convenience. No, hospitality is about someone else's well-being. Because as Henry Nouwen writes, really honest receptivity means inviting the stranger into our world on their terms, not ours. Making this kind of hospitality most definitely distinct. Because see, this type of hospitality that, that Peter is calling us to, that Jesus has called us to, it is demanding, isn't it? It's demanding, requiring vulnerability, stepping out of our comfort zone and allowing others in. It's demanding, it's also, it's inconvenient and requires flexibility. It requires, because here's the thing, the needs of others, they're not going to get scheduled on your calendar in a nice, easy spot, are they? It's demanding, it's inconvenient, and it's expensive. Requiring generosity, requiring intentionality, budgeting for hospitality, budgeting time for hospitality, budgeting money for hospitality, building margin into our lives, building margin into our calendars and into our finances in order to be more hospitable, which means saying no to some things so that you can say yes to hospitality. But not only that, this type of hospitality recognizes that everything we have is a gift from our loving and gracious Heavenly Father holding it with an open hand. This kind of hospitality, though, doesn't begin with our hands. It begins with our hearts. It doesn't begin with what we do. It begins with who we are and what we believe. And this type of hospitality requires each and every one of us that call redemption our church home, viewing ourselves as a host, not a guest, right, but a host. If you're, so here's the thing, though, real quick. If you're new, if you're a guest, if it's your first week, uh, love you. So glad you are here. You get to hear a bit about who we are as a church. I hope I get a chance to meet you at Welcome Redemption after service back in the living room. Uh, but in the words of Lumiere, be our guest. Have a cup of coffee. Be our guest. That said, if you're here this morning, uh, if I were a teacher, I'd do one of those all eyes up here real quick. Focus. Um, if you're here, and, and let's say redemption is your church home, meaning this is the place where you worship, and these are the people who you worship with, then you are a host, not a guest. Meaning you share, we share, in the collective responsibility of creating an environment for the good of others, where they can belong and where they can grow and helping others feel welcome. Hear me, you are what makes redemption a place to belong. Your beautiful smiling faces, your welcoming and hospitable hearts are why people want to come and hear more about this guy named Jesus and what it is that he did for them and who he is. Fourth way we grow in hospitality is to serve one another. 
It says in verse 10, as each one of us has received a gift, meaning every follower of Jesus has been equipped by the Spirit and uniquely gifted by God. As each one has received a gift, use that gift from God to serve one another. Use it for the the good of others. Use it for the building up of the church. Not the church as an organization, not the church as a building, but the church as a people, building each other up as good stewards of God's very grace. And and he says that's that's true, for example, of speaking gifts. Uh, Whoever speaks, speaking as one who speaks oracles of God, who speaks things uh, of God, pointing people to God. I mean, let's be honest, y'all don't come here to hear what I have to say. You came to hear what God had to say, amen? That was a little loud, Jason. <laughs> it's true of speaking gifts. He's, he's right, though. Just I, We're good. But it's also true of our serving gifts. And whoever serves, serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies and the gift that God supplies, not your own strength. Karen Jobs goes on to say that God's work never lacks God's supply. Amen. Now, that one could be louder. But here's what this means. It means God's going to equip us with everything we need to be the church that God's called us to be, isn't he? He's got it covered. He's going to do it in a way that oftentimes forces us to our knees to rely on him and to pray. There's always two people short and kids. There's always one person short on the band. We've been praying for, how long were we praying, Rob, for someone to effectively be a, a deacon-like role over the building? I think I wrote that on my board like 18 years ago. Church is only 14 years old. God will equip us with everything we need to be the church God has called us to be, creating an environment for the good of others where they can belong, where they can heal, where they can grow, where they can flourish. Supplying us with the, the comforting and encouraging words we need to care for one another and the strength that we need to meet the needs of one another. That's what makes the hospitality that we're called to as followers of Jesus entirely distinct from the rest of the world. And so how do we do that here? Well, I want to I wanna share some unique expressions of this distinctive and how uh, we've tried to go about creating that type of environment, beginning with some easy steps you all can take uh, really today to help others feel seen and known and loved as we gather together on Sunday morning. And it starts with uh, the thing we do uh, before we read the scripture, and that's the turn and wave. It used to be turn and greet, now it's turn and wave. And uh, what we're doing is we're letting others know they're seen. Not exposed, but that they're seen. Like, I saw you there. And I love how we all go about this so very, very differently. Colette, uh, she usually sits right about there, and you'll notice, you might not have noticed before, but you'll notice it now, she'll go up and down the row here and shake people's hands. George, George makes a beeline to the person that he doesn't know, and he doesn't matter how far on the other side of the sanctuary it is, and I love that. This morning I just turned around, and I was like, oh, wow, no one's sitting in the spots today. That was pretty cool. So I got to see you in new spots. Some of you, you you know what some of you do during the turn and wave? You turn and you wave. And you smile. And I love that. I love that. Not everybody's a George. Because then everybody would be up and then no one would be down to 
be greeted. You turn and you wave and you smile and that's great. And hear me, please don't underestimate how a smile can make someone feel welcomed and at home and seen. Turn and wave. Number two, you've heard this phrase before, meet someone new to you. Right, meet someone new to you. How do you know if they're new to you? If you don't know their name or you can't remember their name, they are new to you, regardless of how many times you've asked their name. And here's one of the side benefits of, did you know that we changed our worship time from 10 to 9.30? I don't know if you know that. So you know that now. Everybody knows that now. If you were here the last two weeks, you already knew that. Uh, actually, our time together begins at 9.30 with prayer in the lobby. And the benefit of this change that we actually made a year ago, but we just started talking about this way th- two weeks ago, is that you've got like a built-in 10 to 15 minutes between the end of prayer and the beginning of worship to meet someone new to you. And like, hear me, there is something so special about being known by name. There is a reason the Cheers theme song is one of the most beloved theme songs in the history of television. You want to go where everyone knows your name. Sometimes you want to go and just have them not know your name, but most times you want to be known. And like even the, the lobby, like... The whole lobby project was created with hospitality in mind. And exactly what happens between 9.45 and 10. So meet someone new to you. Number three, you heard this one last week, stop and pray. Right? Let someone know their love by asking how you can pray for them. Don't ask if, ask how. How can I be praying for you? And then if they share something with you, don't just say you'll pray, but stop and pray. Spend the next moment praying with them. Let's not be so distracted and overwhelmed with everything else that we forget to pray. Turn and wave. Meet someone new to you. Stop and pray. Number four, we ask everyone who calls Redemption their church home to serve on a regular monthly basis. And a great way you could do this is to serve on the welcome team. right? Welcoming people at the main entrance out back as they come with a friendly smile. Serving some really good and freshly brewed coffee that, yes, you most definitely can bring into the sanctuary. Side note, another way you can serve is by getting out the carpet cleaner and cleaning the coffee spills on the carpet. Um, It's usually right there where I sit. You serve by helping new families make their way to the the kids' check-in desk and get checked in and showing them downstairs and really just making everyone feel at home and welcomed. But number five, we also do this throughout the week through things, a way you could do this throughout the week is to just share a meal with others, right? There's something special, even spiritual, a friend shared a couple weeks ago with me, something spiritual about sharing a meal together like the early church did at the end of Acts 2 as they were uh, devoting themselves to fellowship and breaking bread in their homes day by day. That's how we, that's how we begin our elder meetings is with a meal, that's how we spend one Sunday each summer after service with summer Sundays, sharing a, a BYOL, bring your own lunch meal. That's how we end the summer uh, with Jesus tacos and the bears. Only this year the bears got a late kickoff, so it's kind of like Jesus tacos and some other random NFL teams until the bears beat the Packers. Amen. And then another thing, a couple years ago, I think it was like 2019, we set out to share a thousand meals together as a church. Some of you may remember this. To share a thousand meals together as a church family. And the idea was that if, if every household uh, either invited someone out for lunch or over to their home for dinner once a month, we would share a thousand meals together over the course of the year. And this morning I was looking back over some of the pictures that, that folks shared with that hashtag RBC1000meals. 
It was so neat to see people getting together that might not normally have gotten together. But we don't need a special initiative to be hospitable. Uh, You don't need us to be tracking a thousand meals to just go invite someone out for a meal. And so another step you can take, and you can take it today, invite someone over for a meal, take them out for lunch. It doesn't have to be fancy. And number six is host a meetup. I host a meetup. The idea behind meetups when we started these was, hey, let's meet up to do the things we already enjoy doing, but doing them together. It's sort of like, I'm going to go do this thing, and I would like others to know that I'm going to go do this thing so they can come do it with me. But even if nobody shows up, I'm still going to go do it anyway. And the great thing about meetups was, do you know who could host a meetup? It was rather limited. Can everyone raise their hand? All of you that raised your hand and those of you that did not raise your hand, y'all get to host a meetup. Anyone can host a meetup. The other great thing is that anyone can attend a meetup, including you. And so, like, Josh, you had a bunch of uh, meetups at the park for dads and kids on Saturday mornings. Um, Steve has, I think, this regular family game. They, they game night. They met on Saturday. Uh, Aaron and Jamie have done a great job uh, hosting meetup events for women. You guys did, uh, you did a worship night. You did a, a breakfast one time. Uh, you, that's how the Bible study, study started up was a meetup. And then Thursday, they all got together with a group of women to talk about, hey, what do we want to do this fall and next spring? And how can others uh, join in in serving? Uh, Celeste hosted a, a going away party for Jay a couple weeks ago as a meetup. And then Joe's done a couple softball meetups. And so you might be wondering right now, hey, Pastor Ash, how do I host a meetup? Can you ask? That's a great question. I'm so glad you asked. I'd love to show you. I even have a diagram here. I was anticipating that question. Wasn't anticipating Jason amen in me as loud as he did earlier, but I was anticipating this. So you guys know the Church Center app. You pull up the Church Center app, and that left picture is what you see there. I'm just going to go point, because just in case you don't see the big red circles. You click on the three little dots that say more, and then on the next page, you see where it says meetups at the top? That's step two. See why I put a two there? Left brain engineer right here. Next one, you see where it says host a meetup? Do you think that's what you click? That's what you click. If you want to see what meetups are coming up, you can click upcoming meetups. Uh, and then you get this form, and you fill the form out, and you, you share your idea. And so once you have your idea, go fill out that form, and then we'll usually get that posted to the app uh, on Friday. Megan will get that posted. And, uh, and then now is where you come in. You're the host of this meetup. Not, not the church staff, you're the host. And so it is your responsibility then as the host to invite people to your meetup. Right? This is your event, you're the host, and then go have fun with people. And what's great is you're going to meet people that you might not have ever met before, and all of a sudden you're going to realize, oh, you enjoy that too. And so host a meetup. And then number seven, I said this before, but I want to end with this. Creating this environment requires each and every one of us to be a host. Right? If redemption is your home, meaning this is the place where you worship, and we are the people who you worship with, you are a host. And as a host, it is your role, your responsibility to join in welcoming guests into our home, into your home. And not just on Sunday morning, that's the obvious one, but throughout the week when, you're, uh, when you've reserved a space to work in the study. When your small group or formation group uh, meets in the, in the lobby or the living room. 
or on Saturday morning when you come to serve at the pantry, we were, we were helping a whole lot of guests feel welcomed and at home at the pantry. And as you make this your church home, because truth be told, you will only ever be as connected as you want to be. You will only ever be as connected as you choose to be. We can offer steps. You've got to take the steps. We want to help you take the steps. But as you make this your home, as you make this the place where you belong, as you make this the place where you are growing, it then becomes a place for you to serve as you give back and creating an environment for the good of others by making this a place for others to belong and a place for others to grow. But let's not forget the motive for our hospitality and what it is that makes it distinct. Let's not forget the why behind the what and why it is that we live this way. It is because the end of all things is at hand. Because we are people living between the advents, living in response to God's love, love that he poured out on the world, love that he displayed on the cross, welcoming others as his chosen adopted children, living in the freedom of Christ's victorious resurrection and in hope of his glorious return, living out of that hope by coming together with reliance on God in prayer, reflecting the love that we have received to our neighbors, to those God has put in our lives, welcoming the stranger as a friend and creating an environment for the good of others where their needs are met in order that in everything we do, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Amen? That God would get the glory. The entirety of our lives lived for his glory and the good of others. So to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.